moments of joy and laughter, Lord. It's so good to laugh in the house of God, just to, because we're laughing, because we're happy inside, because of you, Jesus. And we just thank you so much. Uh, uh, we just love you. And Lord, I pray now as, as I present this message, Lord, that you laid on my heart. I pray that you will use me, Lord, that you anoint me through your Holy Spirit to preach this message, bring you glory and honor. And Lord, I pray most importantly that as we pray for your glory and honor, that you, Lord, your people here today, they can, they can pick up one truth, one truth that they can take with them, one truth about you they can apply to their lives. And we praise you and we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. The pastor's evening sermon was so that the congregation started slipping out of the congregation, out of the sanctuary, one by one. Finally, an usher quietly approached the podium and slipped a note to the pastor. It read, When you are through, would you please turn off the lights, lock the doors, and put the keys under the mat? This day of celebrating Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is not just another dull story. Its significance has impact on the lives of every Christian who will ever walk on this planet. It is awesome because it marks the beginning of Holy Week. It marks the beginning of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem and what that means to us. So I probably preached 35, 40 of, of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And we're going we're gonna to take a different twist today as we look at what the significance of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. However, we are going to look at, at if you want to turn to well, Matthew on the screen, Matthew 11, Matthew 21, 1 through 11. Now, before I read this, as you look at the narratives of this story in the, in the four Gospels, you'll notice that, that Matthew brings a different twist to it than the other three. I'll talk about that very shortly here. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Beth, Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, Tell them that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed the cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. 
the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. So today we remember Palm Sunday when Jesus, our King of Kings, enters Jerusalem. In verse 2, Jesus instructed his disciples to go to the village, and there they'd find what? They'd find a donkey tied up along with a colt. And they were to bring that donkey to Jesus. But if anyone said anything, they were to say that the Lord needs them. Now, again, if you look at, at, at Matthew's passage, his understanding, the Holy Spirit, I believe, uh, emphasized the fulfillment of the ancient prophecy recorded in Zechariah 9.9. And as we turn to Zechariah 9.9, let's also understand that Jesus was in control of all of these events. Really, and he gives us all these clues that he's in control. Like he tells the disciples, the two of them, you know, there's a donkey in the village there. Go get the donkey and bring it to me. Jesus was very, very aware of what was going on and what was going to happen. That's what makes this story to me so marvelous and intriguing that Jesus Christ knew what was going to happen. And to me, as I look at the events also of, of Holy Week, I think of Jesus' humanity. Jesus, fully God and fully man. Jesus experienced emotions that we experienced. How would you feel if you knew that you were going to be crucified in five or six days? How would you feel about that? Jesus' agony in the garden. So, so it's very important for us to see as we read uh, Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt. The foal of a donkey. Amazing Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem was predicted 500 years before it actually happened. Can you imagine that? 500 years before it came to pass. But there's a story behind this story. Jesus came to them not riding on a war-experienced steed, but on a slow-moving donkey, followed by shouts of, of, you know, praise God, Hosanna, to the highest. So this morning, I want to share with you uh, a few thoughts, three thoughts how Jesus' Jerusalem entry can shape our lives. Now, you could add, you know, 10, 12 thoughts, but we only have time for three. But I really prayed about this. I think this is very significant because it's talking about our attitude toward the faith, our attitude toward Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. First, have a positive attitude toward others. Acts 27 13 through 15. Now, this is a great story because Paul's on a ship and he's sailing to Italy because he used to go before Caesar. 
13 through 15. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. The storm controlled that ship. Paul and his crew were sailing along until a life-threatening storm hit. Now they were in deep trouble. And verse 18 says, They began to throw cargo overboard. They were fearful that the storm would tear, tear the ship apart. Even the captain, as you read the story, had given up hope of surviving, of surviving this mega storm. However, Paul encouraged them. Now listen to this. Paul encouraged them in their worst moments, in their worst fears. Verses 22 through 25. Paul gave them a positive message. He did. Now listen to this. I love this. This is such a, Paul is really on a roll here. You, can you imagine just being in that storm? The ship is being torn apart. You know, have you ever been in a massive storm or whatever? Nothing that massive I've ever been into. But the ship is just being torn apart, and they thought they were going to die. This is it. And then Paul, being ever so positive, shared 22 through 25. He said, now I urge you to keep up your, what, your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the Lord, whose I am and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Wow. Paul gave them a positive message. And what was that message? That God would save them. That I have faith. God spoke to me. And God said that you're going to be saved. Not one of you will be lost. Now we move on to verses 33 through 36. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After you said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate food for themselves. Paul put his faith in God's promises. And not only that, when he put his faith in God's promises, what happened to them? They were encouraged and they started to eat according to the word. 
Often God sends people into our lives to give us hope and assurance that we can make it. That's part of our calling as Christians, to encourage one another. When we know somebody's going through something, the greatest thing that we can do is pray for them and ask God to help them overcome. That God will give them the assurance that they need in, this, in, their, in their time of, of desperation. Be positive. Sometimes we're too negative. Be positive. In 1990, a Boeing 707 crashed with 159 passengers on board on a wooded hillside in Long Island. The scene was filled with debris. It was everywhere. People were screaming. That's not, you know, people survived. People were screaming, but there were dead bodies scattered. And the big fear, one of the big fears at that time, was they were feared that the plane would just burst into flames at any moment. Yet, emergency crews and neighbors in the area and other volunteers worked side by side for hours trying to rescue the survivors. And I love this story because one of the rescuers made comments concerning the stress and strain of it all. How did the rescuers get through it? How did they survive this? These are people that just everyday people like us suddenly thrown into a devastating, horrific situation. I've seen body parts, hate to be so graphic, but all over. And people screaming, babies crying. How did they do it? Well, this rescue said this. He remembered that a special bond had developed and united all the workers. And so what they would do, that in the process of the rescue efforts, they would, as they passed each other, they would nod. Or they would make brief comments of encouragement. You know, we're in this together. We're going to do this. And, and occasionally, they would, they would embrace. They would embrace others. It seems to me that our world is governed by such hostility. Am I wrong? You know, watch the news. We're filled with hatred from the press, whatever. I'm not getting into politics, but we are. Even, even today, Democrats have a hard time conversing with Republicans. Am I right, Rudy? You know? We don't talk politics because we're afraid. All of a sudden, it gets very emotional, very personal. That's happening more and more. It never happened that way, did it? Years ago, we could, we could agree to disagree. We can't do that anymore. There's hatred out there. And I believe what the world needs now is a dose of Christ-driven love, sweet love, 
of encouragement to other peoples. What did the Bible say in Romans, what is it, Romans, 1 Corinthians 13, 13? But these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. If we don't express our love, it doesn't matter. People talk about witnessing for Jesus Christ. If you don't have love, genuine love for the person that you're talking to, your witness is not valid. Because love will not be there. Jesus loved. Jesus built relationships based on love, pure love. Jesus went into Jerusalem, then the events of Holy Week, because of love, his love for us. He's telling us we need to share that love with others. Share it. Sometime today, I have to call my brother. Last week, his best friend, his accountability partner, and his prayer partner died. And it wasn't, he wasn't, it was kind of a sudden thing. I never met Harry. I met him once, excuse me. I met him once. But I have a brother that's hurting. God is telling me to reach out to him in love. Give him words of encouragement. Pray with him. And he does that to all of us here in this room. It's not a pastor. It's every believer in Jesus Christ. God has called us to share his love. The greatest of these is love. Share it. So people can know, share, when you share your love, you're sharing your light. Your light with Jesus Christ in your hearts. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes people say, well, I'm kind of quiet, you know, I'm kind of within myself, whatever, and it's a hard time for me, like in a church or whatever, to say hello or whatever. Come on. That's an excuse. Pray about it. And I'm sure that God's going to convict you to share and show love with others. Now, you people are loving people. So you can say, ooh, Pastor Denny can't be talking about us. So I want to go to number two here. And have a positive impact in your trials. Did you catch that? Have a positive impact in your trials. Now listen to this. People are watching us. People are watching Christians and how we respond to stress, how we respond to tough times. People are watching. Romans 8, 35 through 37. I shared part of this passage last week. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ, said Paul? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written? For your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Who's through him? It's Jesus. Paul is encouraging us to lean, to learn what it means to, to live through our afflictions with a Christ-centered, Christ-convicted attitude. Be positive. We say, boy, that's really hard to do when we're going through some real hard times. I say to people sometimes, when you're going through really bad stuff, can you praise God? We're called to do that. 
to praise him because when we praise him, we're also, we're also conveying that we're putting our trust in him. Now, the story I'm going to share with you, please don't take this as a, a brag thing or whatever. Take it for what it is and what Christ can do. My wife, for the past probably 20 years, has gone through so many physical illnesses, situations, that I can imagine. She's had 17 surgeries. She's had uh, a bout with cancer, uh, fibromyalgia, arthritis. So many things I don't want to leave, I don't want to do everything. Hearing, she had a, a tumor. That was removed. Lost hearing in her one ear. And now she's dealing with a, with a hernia, hiatal hernia. She's lost a lot of weight because she can't eat. I say this because she's not looking for sympathy. If you come to Jan and you give her sympathy, she will not like that. But my sister-in-law last week really said it all. She said, I can't believe that Jan, with all she's gone through, she can have such a great positive outlook on life. I said, you know why? Because of 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And Jan quotes this a lot. What is it? By my grace is sufficient, said Paul. We all have our paths that we travel, you know, and, and some of it, you know, we run through some of the hard times, but in all of it, it's my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. I'm a very lucky man. As a, as, a, as a Christian, because every day I see that my wife is in pain. And every day I live with her positive attitude about her Lord. And man, that just builds my faith up like you would not believe. So I thank you for that, Jan. In verse 35, Paul asks a series of questions. And these are the questions that we, that we need to ask as well. And you can add to the questions. 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or sadness or danger of sword? And he answered them quite clearly. Verse 37, we are more than conquerors. Friends, we cannot control everything that is, that is thrown at us in this up and down world that we live in. However, the Bible says that we can be overcomers. We can be conquerors through Christ's power. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and he proclaimed that he was in control of the world's events, of world situations, including, including Holy Week. In him we can rise above. Don't mean to yell. In him we can rise above no matter what it is, by having a positive attitude toward others. That's one way of rising above. Another way is by having a positive impact in our trials. Again, 
people are watching us, how we respond. I watch her every day and how she responds. So God has given me that to help me grow in my faith. Knowing that all things are possible through him, it does not matter what you are going through right now. God is victorious. Trust him. No matter what it is in your life, just trust him. And he will never, ever let you down. Amen? And this leads us to the third one. Do not let your positivity, I threw that word in there, fade. Psalm 42, verses 10 and 11. Now listen to this. My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. The psalm was talking about having a deep hunger and thirst for God in the good times and in the tough times. God just isn't there during the, for the tough times, but also in the good times. We rejoice. We rejoice when things are going well. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. But friends... Life tells us, life, you know, things aren't always going to go well. Can we still rejoice him? Can we still praise him? How many have heard of Charles Spurgeon? Charles Spurgeon. What a guy. You know, he was, he was living around, I think he was born in 1834 or whatever. Charles Spurgeon today, in terms of, in uh, many Christian denominations, call him... The Prince of Preachers. Spurgeon, in so many ways, has influenced my preaching. He was a a preacher like I've never seen before in my life. This guy was so anointed with the Word of God. And he spoke in his day against liberal theology in his time. If Spurgeon were alive today, oh my goodness, he'd be so controversial, he'd be unbelievable. He, but he'd have a lot of material, I can tell you that. He was truly a man of God. Started preaching at 19 years old. They called him to a church of 6,000. And I, I believe, basically, Spurgeon spent his, his life preaching in that church. It grew to 10,000 people. One of the most gifted uh, Christians I've ever read about. From his writings to his devotionals to his commentaries, etc. God just, it just flowed through him. But what people don't know, many people don't know about Spurgeon, was he suffered intense depression. That guy was a mess. He was a mental mess. And he would even say that. He called himself a prisoner in his own mind. He once said, I pity a dog who, who has to suffer like me. Can you imagine that? His wife even said that his depression, it didn't matter, it could be the weather, 
It could be um, success. It could be uh, uh, conflict. He was just suffering mentally. And Spurgeon basically said that it was in his suffering that he was so aware of his humanity. I think sometimes God takes gifted people like that. He says, you know, before you think so highly of yourself, I'm going to let you know who's in charge. I'm going to let you know that you're just a human being like everybody else. Some claim that Spurgeon was bipolar. He had his ups and downs. Others said, well, he had a chemical imbalance. Who knows? The man suffered. And people will say, some people, not you, but some people will say, well, godly people should not have emotional problems. If you're a Christian, you should not have emotional problems. Really? What about King David? Called about a man after God's own heart. David had his emotional ups and downs throughout his life. Now we turn to this psalm, Psalm uh, verse 11. He said, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? But then he said, Put your heart and your hope in God. When pain and darkness appear in your life, remember to put your hope in God. And he will never disappoint you. My brothers and sisters, we have hope. We have hope in Christ. So no matter what you're going through, again and again I've said this, you've got to find your Jesus and trust that he knows what's so best for you. Palm Sunday marks the beginning of Jesus' entry and journey to the cross. And it begins today. Jesus riding in on a donkey. And then it continues in Holy Week. The Last Supper, we call it Monday, Thursday. Or the first supper Jesus had with his disciples. What happened after that? His betrayal. Judas, one of the twelves, one of his buddies, bailed out. For what? A few pieces of money. Then we go into Jesus' humanness. His agony in the garden. God, if you will take this cup from me. He knew that he was going to die. He knew it. He knew about the arrest. He knew about the trial. He knew about the physical torture, the humiliation. Can you imagine being on the cross? And Jesus, after all of this, before he died, said, It is finished. It is finished. That story is timeless. Then he died.
my brothers and sisters, I actually almost plead with you to embrace these events of Holy Week. Embrace them with a de determination to maintain an immovable attitude even in the midst of your storms. We can overcome. We can be overcomers. Not because of me, not because of you, how smart you are. We can be overcomers in Christ Jesus Christ. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus saves. He not only saves us from our, uh, when we die, but he saves us each and every day in our life. Hosanna, Jesus saves. Hosanna, Jesus in the highest. Jesus. Jesus. The name above every name. Our King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus. Oh. He loves you so much, doesn't he? He loves all of us so, so much. Oh, I don't know about you, but I don't want to let him down, but I know I do. Also, I know when I let him down, he's so graceful and merciful, he gives me another chance. Like he gives all of us another chance. Love your Jesus. Love him every day, but this week, Pray and learn to love your Jesus more. Every, every swing of that whip, love him. When they, when they jam those crowns on his head, love him. When he's on that cross, love him. Love him. Love him. He wants your love. And he wants my love. Amen. Lord, we praise you and thank you. I thank you, Lord, so much for who you are. Oh, God, we love you. And Lord God, I pray for anyone here that is fighting with being, feeling like they can be a conqueror, Lord, that you will minister to their hearts that your spirit will just fill them with the hope of the resurrection and also hope that they can live each and every day in victory because you are the Christ. You are the one. just be in his presence right now.